Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered and the run-up to launching our St. Paul the Apostle course on Tuesday, September 7th. We left off Wednesday with the church on fire with the Holy Spirit. Peter and the apostles preaching and hundreds and hundreds of people being brought to Christ. Of course, the religious leaders took note and Peter and the apostles were hauled before the Sanhedrin and put on trial. But a very wise man, the great Rabbi Gamaliel, asked Peter and the others to step outside and he addressed the Sanhedrin. He said, you might recall some time ago Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men followed him. He was killed. His followers were dispersed. Look, if you persecute these people, it will be like pouring gasoline on a fire. Leave them alone. And if it's just another movement, it will fade away like every other movement. But if it's authentic, and I suspect Gamaliel believed it was, if it's authentic, you'll be fighting against God. So the apostles were flogged, put out, and they went right on teaching and preaching and more people coming into the fold. Of course, with a very rapidly growing movement, there are logistical problems. We had a whole lot of people in Jerusalem who came there for a vacation and they stayed. Others joined people from Jerusalem, people from surrounding towns and villages. And we read in Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The Grecian Jews, they're the ones who traveled to Jerusalem from the east and western portions of the Roman Empire and didn't go home. They've overstayed their welcome as far as the Hebraic Jews were concerned. We're tired of these people having to feed them, having to take care of them. They ran out of resources a long time ago and now they're sponging off all of us. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Look, Peter, Andrew, James, John, the others, they were tutored by Christ in a private 40-day seminar to get the message out to the world. And it's not right that we have to be serving meals to people instead of doing our work. When Moses led the Israelites into the wilderness, 40 years they were there. We counted the people up in the Exodus, 603,550 men of fighting age, 20 to 50. An equal number of women, plus older and younger people. What, 2 million people? And Moses was doing everything. It was Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who said to him, Moses, you have to delegate 
You can't do this by yourself. You're, 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 you're wearing yourself out. Well, the very same thing's happening here. All these people and the apostles cannot do it all themselves. You need to delegate. So, Peter said, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility of caring for the community over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Delegate. Well, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Antioch is in southeastern Turkey of today. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them, thus commissioning them for this work. They became deacons. The word deacon in Greek means a table waiter, someone who brings the food to the table in the restaurant. So with that delegation of authority and duties, the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests, Levitical priests, became obedient to the faith. Now imagine how that must have made the Sanhedrin sit up and take note. Now, Stephen, we focus on him. A man full of God's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These were people from outside of Jerusalem itself. They began to argue with Stephen. They could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. So they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Now, Peter's been before the Sanhedrin, as have the other apostles, but not Stephen. He's a table waiter, a deacon. They brought him before the, uh, the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Well, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, that's not the face of a Hallmark card angel. Angels, when we encounter them in Scripture, are fierce, warrior-like creatures, magnificent they looked at Stephen and they saw in his face authority. They saw wisdom and they were afraid. Stephen stared them down and didn't move a muscle. The high priest asked, are these charges true? To this he replied, 
Brothers and fathers, listen to me. I imagine Stephen now standing before the Sanhedrin and delivering his often called defense. It's not a defense that he delivers. It's a sermon. And it's literally Bible 101. Listen to this. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. That would be Genesis chapter 11. Before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said. Go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you're now living. Now we're moving through Genesis. <laughs> he gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time, Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. He said to him, and I quote God, says Stephen, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, afterward, they'll come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of the twelve patriarchs. So we go right through Genesis. Now, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave to Egypt. You see what Stephen's doing here? He's teaching scripture. Now, these, these are members of the Sanhedrin. These are PhDs in theology. These are priests. This is the College of Cardinals and the Pope. And he's teaching Bible 101. Now, how do they react to this? As Stephen's speaking with the face of an angel, a fierce-looking face, he's intent on what he's teaching. They're looking at him, and they are insulted they are angry, and Stephen keeps right on going. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, a number of our people in Egypt greatly increased, and another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people, so now we're in Exodus. And on Stephen goes, on he goes. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals to Moses. The place where you're standing is holy ground. I've indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and I've come down and set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Moses, you're going back. And the same Moses, whom they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge, was sent back to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. And on he goes through Exodus. He finally builds to his conclusion. 
You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, Stephen's pointing a finger at the high priest and the leading members of the Sanhedrin. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Why, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. You are murderers. Well, this is not what they expected from Stephen, that's for sure. This is not a defense. This is an accusation. When they heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. We read at the end of Mark's gospel that Jesus ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God. Now Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I'll bet he stood up and applauded Stephen. Look, said Stephen, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they clapped their hands over their ears, shouting at the top of their lungs. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. There we meet Saul for the first time. He's not simply watching over their clothing. Saul was the adult student of the greatest rabbi of his century. Saul was an enormously well-educated person studying under Gamaliel. Saul oversees the stoning of Stephen. Later, as Paul, he'll tell us, I murdered Christians. The very first one, I think, was Stephen. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he died. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Good job, men. Well, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That is, all those people who had stayed after Pentecost, A.D. 32, they all run away. They all go home. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Saul of Tarsus led the persecution against the church in Jerusalem. He oversaw the stoning of Stephen, and then he saw it as his job to stop this movement, stop it dead in its tracks. No one in the history of the church ever hated Christ more than Saul of Tarsus. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why? When Jesus 
was brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin debated, what do we do with this guy? Every day during what we call Holy Week, Jesus escalated the encounter. Jesus went to Jerusalem on Passover of AD 32 for the purpose of being crucified. And he did everything within his power to ensure it happened. Day by day, he escalated the encounter. Day by day, the crowds grew and became more aroused. When the Sanhedrin meets to decide what to do with him, they have a debate. Well, maybe he is the Messiah. How could he be the Messiah? The Messiah is from Bethlehem. He's from Nazareth. And on it went. And finally, in the Gospel according to John, Caiaphas, the high priest, stands up and said, you know nothing. You don't know what you're talking about. This is not about religion. This is not about the Messiah. A lot of people claim to be the Messiah. It all came to nothing. He's yet another one. No, that's not it. We got a million people in town here for Passover. Ten times the normal population. And these people do not like the Roman authorities. And this man is stirring them up. Day by day, he escalates. Why, yesterday, when he looked at us in the crowd, when we confronted him, and he called us a brood of vipers, he told us we're all going to hell, and the crowds were cheering him on. If he comes back tomorrow and escalates again, there will be a bloodbath in this city. Our right to worship at the temple will be over. We have a deal with the Romans to ensure the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Under Roman law, there was total freedom of religion. You could worship any god you wanted to. The Greeks worshipped their gods. The Egyptians worshipped their gods. The Jews worshipped their god. You had to respect the Roman gods, show due deference, and be polite. But there was total freedom of religion. What you couldn't do is use your freedom of religion to incite civil unrest. That's what was happening. And Caiaphas said, this is not about religion. This is about politics. This is about the reality of our living under Roman law. If we allow this to escalate and there is a riot in this city, we will no longer be able to worship here at the temple. Rome will shut us down. Our nation, quasi-independent, our freedom will be over. This is about our very existence. That's why they had Jesus put to death. Not because he claimed to be the Messiah, but because of the threat of civil unrest if he came back and escalated again and it resulted in a riot. Well, he was arrested for sure. All that time, all that time of Jesus being in Jerusalem, riding in on what we call Palm Sunday, Saul of Tarsus was there. Saul 
lived in Jerusalem. He moved there to study under Gamaliel. He was in the inner circle. Do you think maybe when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the crowds were there cheering him on, proclaiming him king, do you think Saul may have taken notice? You think perhaps Saul was there on the Palm Sunday road checking him out? Could this be the Messiah? And when Jesus did get to the temple, what did he do? Went and pray? No, he went in with a whip and wrecked the place. Do you think Saul was there watching it? Do you think he resented it? When Jesus encounters the religious leaders and escalates day after day, and they send a delegation to confront him, one of the men in the delegation said, excuse me, I have a question. Should we pay taxes to Rome or not? Well, that was a really good question, clever, because if Jesus said, no, don't pay taxes to Rome, he'd be arrested by the Roman guards and that would be the end of it. If he said, yes, pay taxes to Rome, he'd be arrested. If he said no, well, they'd be arrested too. So what did he do? Anybody have a coin? The man who asked the question flipped the coin. He caught it. Whose picture's on it? Caesar. Give to him what belongs to him. That was pretty good. You think it may have been Saul of Tarsus who tossed the coin? <laughs> I wonder. When Jesus was put on trial and brought before Pilate, and those in the crowd began chanting, crucify him, crucify him. You think it might have been Saul of Tarsus leading the chant? When Jesus was on the cross, people walked by, including religious leaders, mocked him, ridiculed him, spit in his face. You think Saul of Tarsus might have done that? Later, as Paul, he'll say, I was the greatest of sinners. Oh, wait until Tuesday when we start our St. Paul the Apostle multi-quarter course. We're going to learn a whole lot about Saul of Tarsus and about Paul, St. Paul. I am so looking forward to this new course, and I hope you'll be there with me. Just go to the website. You can sign right up for it. The syllabus is there for you to look at and download. The first lesson is up there as a sample. Take a look, and I hope you sign up and stay with me for a while. All right, we're right at the end. Thank you very much. Blessings to all of you. Keep me in your prayers. I'll keep you in mind. And offer a special prayer for this class coming up, this really extraordinary experience to study Paul in depth. Okay, bye-bye now. Mm -hmm.